Welcome to From All Points, the monthly podcast from the Episcopal Cafe, exploring the themes of the life of faith. Hello and welcome. Our panel today is Amy Haney. Hello. John White. Hello. Charles Wilson. Hello. And I'm Cleola Jaton. Today we welcome Elaine Heath to join us in our discussion. Elaine currently serves as abbess of Spring Forest, which is an intentional Christian community, and she is the leader of Neighborhood Seminary. You can find information about Neighborhood Seminary at www.neighborhoodseminary.org to provide robust missional, spiritual, theological, and practical formation to equip lay people to minister in their home, neighborhood, workplace, and community. She has a new book coming out from Abingdon in the next two months titled The Healing Power of Celebration. She is a former McCrayless Professor of Evangelism at Perkins School of Theology, Southern Methodist University, and the former Dean and Director of Missional and Pastoral Theology at Duke Divinity School, and a co-founder of the Missional Wisdom Foundation. One of her research areas is community as a means of healing trauma. She is a wonderful, powerful person and teacher. Elaine, thank you for joining us today. Elaine, I'm really excited about this book because I'm looking at the end of our social distancing time for my congregation and thinking about how we will celebrate and how we will heal through that celebration. So it just seems really pertinent to me. You want to, would you like to tell us some things about it? Sure. Well, the interesting thing about the book, first of all, I agreed to write this book. Uh, Abingdon had asked me to write the book and um, anyway, I went through a set of difficult circumstances that all kind of coalesced into the perfect storm. And so it was time to write this book on the Christian practice of celebration. And I was unable to write because I was depressed. So how do you write about celebration when you're depressed? You know, my yeah. mother had died and a, a range oh. of things went on with my work. And um, so finally, I, I had to do some spiritual work so that I could even write the book. And I realized as I started writing it, that writing the book itself was healing some of this pain. And um, the book really, there are four uh, chapters in it. It's just a, a short book. And there are reflection questions throughout the book so that people can read a little bit and do some journaling or have a conversation with their friends. But, uh, for example, there's a chapter on how do we celebrate when it seems like we're in a spiritual fog? How do we celebrate when it seems like God disappeared? What about if we got fired? What about, yeah. <laughs> you know, we get a bad report from the doctor. So it's really, what is the Christian practice of celebration? And how do we do that when things are not going well at all? I have a kind of 
crept up on celebration sideways as a spiritual practice over the life of my ministry. And I, I will say things occasionally like one of the things Christians are called to is to have fun together and enjoy each other. But this sounds like a developed, uh, a development of that simpler idea. Yes, and, and really the Christian practice of celebration, although it includes joyful interactions with each other and happy songs and things, it also includes very difficult things because the core of Christian celebration is that we are celebrating that God in Christ is making all things new. Mm-hmm. And the Christian practice of celebration is always bound to death, loss, pain, suffering, because Christ is making all things new because all things need to be made new. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's very deeply theological and tied into our our um, our faith and our spirituality around suffering. Tell me more about that. If you think about it, really, um, we're celebrating what God has done and continues to do in our lives, and that is good news. It's good news that God is with us and not against us. It's good news that God is for us and not against us. And that as we come to know God and love God and trust God, we become participants in what God is doing in the world in making all things new. We become part of that good news. So the celebration about all of that. So I know you have you're from a Methodist background. I saw. Um, yes. So I don't know how much this applies. So one of the things um, that's come up in my uh, worship ministry is you know there are a lot of people I've had musicians especially who come from other traditions. We're all Episcopalians here. Um, that you know they they want the worship to be upbeat and and so i'm looking i guess i've always been looking for sort of a broader understanding of celebration because because i've always felt that the worship needs to be celebratory but yet include people who who don't feel like it's joyous right who get fed in some sort of way um without being like experiencing an emotional high right um so i was wondering if if you've kind of touched on that or if that's I don't. I don't know enough about the Methodist Church to understand its liturgical ways. I guess. <laughs> well, we follow the same liturgical calendar that the Episcopalians do, and that the Church broadly does. So, we have much in common, actually. Um, but I think that's partly a, a U.S. American phenomenon of expecting corporate worship to always be happy and make us feel good. We really want things to 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 entertain us and to maybe have some information. We'd like preachers that infotain us, um, but worship that touches on a full range of human emotion and human experience is going to include lament. It's going to include asking tough questions. It's going to include doubt, naming the complexities of life that we face. And some people in the church, if, if you're a new pastor coming in and you're the, you're the pastor that's going to now bring this full-orbed experience of being human and loving God, and the people are used to just being fed something to make them feel good all the time, um, some of them will get mad and leave. <laughs> that's what's going to yeah. happen. But there will be other people who will come who've been longing for a spiritual community 
that will help them go deep in life and, and make sense of their lives in light of the way life really is. If you think about the book of Psalms, which is the worship book in the Bible, it's our prayer book, uh, over 60% of the Psalms are Psalms of lament or they're imprecatory. Yeah, they're psalms of complaint and shaking our fist at heaven. Uh, so uh, how, how do we help people in our congregations to do that and to celebrate the joy and the, the marvel of knowing God, too? Well, that is like the striking countercultural stance that the, I feel the church is called to, but that I think we struggle with. I, Charles, go ahead. Uh, I've, I've been trying to negotiate the removal of a dog, so I may have missed, um, but did you define what you mean by celebrate yet? When you say celebrate or celebration, what what are sort of the, what's the box you carry that in or what's the, what are the parameters of what that means? Yeah, so so celebrate means a whole range of activities. Let me let me speak about the central thread that pulls those that range of activities together. and. Those activities include the sacraments, celebrating the sacraments. Methodists do that, too. So we uh, we celebrate the sacrament of Holy Communion or Eucharist and, of course, baptism. And I write about both of those sacraments as acts of celebration, what they mean. But really, um, any posture that we take, any words that we say, actions that we take, orientation that we form ourselves to, that helps us to come into alignment and trust and love with God who is making all things new in Christ. That is an act of celebration. Sometimes that act is happy. It is happy. We laugh, we, we might even dance a little, you know, skip a little bit or something. Other times it's a painful act of celebration that I think about the, the hymn, um, It Is Well With My Soul was an act of celebration when the, uh, the the man who wrote that hymn, his name's kind of slipping my mind right now, but his wife and children had drowned at sea. And he wrote this song, It Is Well With My Soul, as a statement of celebration that God is still God, God is faithful, God loves us, even in the mystery of this death and loss. I am trusting that God. That was an act of celebration. Is that so I saw a cartoon the other day. It was a giant monster COVID-19 cell and a nurse or a doctor in scrubs standing there flipping it off. Would that be uh, an act of celebration? It could be. Yeah, okay. it could be because it's it's saying you're so it's not, not going to have the last word. Okay. You're not going to have the, love is going to have the last word, not death. Okay. Yeah. So defiance in some sense against evil um, is a celebration. Yes. There's an icon uh, with Jesus. It's the icon of the resurrection. You're probably all familiar with it, where Jesus has descended into hell mm -hmm. and, and the, the coffin is burst open and he's got Adam on one side and Eve on the other and pulling them up out of hell. And so there's this uh, defiance against death and hell. And then uh, death and hell are kind of in chains below and Jesus's feet are on top of death and hell this defiance against that which kills life. Yeah. So I'm fascinated by this conversation because one of the bishops that Clayola and I used to work with in Dallas would say it's as much a sin to not feast in a feasting season as it is to not fast in a fasting season. And he would say that sort of tongue in cheek 
because he didn't, I don't think he really believed that it was much of a sin to not fast in a fasting season, but that we should put as much energy into feasting as we do into fasting, that he recognized that we have a hard time holding that tension. And also I think about uh, Brene Brown talking about us feeling the most vulnerable when we are in moments of great joy, that we, mm-hmm. that we intentionally step back from that sometimes to protect ourselves because we realize the vulnerability of great joy. So this sounds like it's, it's that same sort of conversation of holding the tension of letting whatever is old drop away, letting whatever God is creating new for us to be able to lean into that and stretch into that in that trusting and faithful way. So it sounds like a fantastic, I can't wait to read it and continue that conversation. Well, thank you, Amy. Yeah, that is the, that is what I'm getting at in this book. And I tell lots of stories along the way in the book from my own pastoral work and my own life experiences that I've had. One of my, one of my favorite lines in our burial office is the, even at the grave, we make our song, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. It's that same sense of tension with death and life. Uh, one of the things I was saying to my congregation on Easter is that this coming time when we all come out of our homes is a time when Christians will shine because we are a people of hope. And uh, I was thinking of that line when I said that to them, it's a, um, it's a time when we know, Christians know, how to be hopeful and joyful even at the grave. And that ability will serve the world well as we end social distancing, I think. Which brings us a little bit to the healing idea of celebration. How does celebration heal? Celebration can help us to heal from trauma, from wounds of different kinds, as we are aligning ourselves with God's love. Uh, uh, I've been doing a lot of research into trauma and what can help trauma to heal, how community in particular can help trauma to heal. And uh, one, of the, one of the things that happens when we're traumatized is our, our brain is changed and the trauma lodges in our bodies so that, um, and if it's a severe trauma, if, if we've experienced repeated trauma in childhood, for example, or war trauma, or uh, we've been in a battering relationship for a while, then um, we ha- might have PTSD and uh, a range of uh, challenges like that. And what happens is our brain is easily triggered. To, we're just on high alert all the time, just waiting for the next thing that we have to watch mm-hmm. out for. Mm-hmm. And the practice of celebration can can actually help us to rewire our brain because the practice of celebration is oriented toward gratitude, toward leaning into God's faithful love for us, that God's meaning is love. And um, some of the practices of celebration can also help us to heal from trauma, such as singing, um, doing drama together, there's a book by Bessel van der Kolk called The Body Keeps the Score. Uh, he's uh, one of the pioneers in healing from trauma and talks about how our bodies hold trauma. And so some of the, some of the things he's found that help trauma to heal 
uh, Christians should be at the forefront of doing these things together with our congregations. And it includes singing chants together. It includes drama. And what is the Eucharist but drama? You know, sacred drama, right? And um, and some other things that, that are just part of our Christian way of being in the world. You, you've kind of already started to answer the question I wanted to ask next, which was about practices, right? I'm, I'm, I really firmly think that Christianity isn't about a belief system, but about, a, you know, a, a set of practices that we take up on our life that reflect, you know, whatever it is we believe, but the, that basically we should follow the example of Jesus and do what Jesus did. Um, can you talk about that? Maybe if that was a, a part of your thinking about looking at the life of Jesus, which is essentially tragic, um, you know, there's like a happy ending, but you know, it's, it's on a pretty tragic trajectory. Um, and yet, um, in that it sort of does lead to Easter, right? So can you talk about how we incorporate practices in our own lives or in our communal lives? Um, and I know you're part of an intentional community, maybe how that's expressed in that experience, um, about we, how we, we, we use and develop practices to reinforce that ability to maintain hope. Sure. That's a, that's a great question. It's a very broad question, so I'll just try to pull up. <laughs> um, I'll start with my community since that was at the end of the question and I can remember. <laughs> um, so one of the things that we do in our community, we often use um, Iona liturgies for our morning or evening prayer uh, when we do gathered prayer. And why we love the Iona liturgies is that they're oriented toward creation and toward justice, and they're also deeply gospel-oriented. And all of those are hopeful things. Um, so for example, when we do evening prayers, sometimes the words have things about the, the white moon and the warm sun, and you know, this is part of Celtic creation spirituality. And uh, all of that creation spirituality helps us to stay grounded. I, I mean that literally grounded in the fact that this is God's world. God created it. God created, God created um, rhythms of life and those rhythms continue and, and God created the breath that we breathe. So this way of praying helps our community to stay hopeful even as we pray live through very difficult things, you know, illnesses, the pandemic, people losing jobs, people uh, losing children, various things that our community has gone through, and just as everybody else does. Um, one of the practices that's very helpful uh, for me personally, and for many people that I know, is a practice of gratitude. Whether that means um, making a list every day or uh, some other means of of focusing on gratitude and being grateful. Again, um, going back to the issue of healing from trauma, and uh, all of us are traumatized to some extent by this pandemic. Um, when we practice gratitude, it's very, very difficult to be anxious and grateful at the same time. It has to do with how our brains work. And when we are uh, practicing gratitude, uh, it gives our bodies a rest, <laughs> gives our brains a rest, it helps us to breathe, and it also orients us toward God's love. So 
Uh, we try to practice gratitude. I try to practice gratitude on an ongoing basis. Sometimes I'm better at it than other times. Um, we also believe that simple acts of service mean a whole lot. So uh, going and mowing the lawn for our neighbor or cooking something for each other or just these Sounds like a tornado somewhere. Yeah. Do you think that was the mighty wind blowing? <laughs> that yep. was the Holy Spirit passing through our electronic conversation. I, uh, I think I see some fire tips on the top of your head, so maybe that's it. Do you edit these yeah. before you put them on? or? Yes. Just... Yes, they do get <laughs> They get a lot of editing, actually. Thanks be to God. <laughs> I, can, I can tell you, um, uh, I was asked to do a really short video this last week for Upper Room. They're mm -hmm. taking some of the authors and putting some short videos on coping with uh, this COVID time or whatever they called it. And so I, I just did one. And so there are five things, five things that we do here at Spring Forest that are helpful to us that keep us from getting on each other's nerves too much. <laughs> <laughs> the first one is uh, mindfulness practices. So breath prayer, uh, centering prayer, this kind of thing, Com prayers of compassion. Um, mm -hmm. That's Thing. Then the second thing is the theology of Julian of Norwich, mm -hmm. uh, this theology of hope and joy. She lived through three pandemics that wiped out half of England. She was English, and yet her theology, you, you won't find theology anywhere that's more oriented toward our hope in God making all things new in Christ. Um, then I talked about... Um, the importance of play uh, during this time that every day we need to play. And that might just be joking a little bit with whoever you're living with, or it might be going out to shoot hoops with your kid, or it might be playing a board game or something more complicated like that. But play lifts us out of ourselves and helps us to breathe. Beauty, immersing ourselves in beauty, even if it's just noticing the colors on the house plant when the light comes through the window and strikes and look at all those shades of green and just taking a moment to notice or looking at some art or creating some art some beautiful music something of beauty so beauty play mindfulness practices replacing bad theology and cable news with good theology for a while every day and and no cable news yeah Okay. <laughs> but these are things. And then the, the final one is physical exercise. So working hard so that you sweat, whether you're doing that by spring cleaning in your house or you're taking water and feed out to the chickens or whatever it is, but some physical labor that will um, make us sweat and breathe harder. All of these things can help us stay right side up spiritually while we're going through this time. Thank you. That, was, that answers my question even better than I asked it. <laughs> Um, well, had to have Holy Spirit come with the wind. That's <laughs> what it was. That's what it was. Um, I have a question, Elaine, about Spring Forest. Can you tell us a little bit about how that community is structured in terms of um, where you all live? Do you all live together or just how it's structured? Sure. 
we live on a 23-acre property. Um, there's a small farm on one side, mostly forest on the other side, and there are two houses. Um, our friends, Francis, Agnes, and her three children, who are Kenyan, live on the farm side in that house, and my husband and I live on the forest side. Uh, it's kind of a zen-like house. It's very simple and a lot of glass looking into the woods. Really, really simple. There's nothing fancy about it. And then, um, so when, it, so, sorry about my dogs going off. Yes, <laughs> man is out there or something. But um, when we moved here, we had friends who lived with us in Texas. We li have lived in community for at least 10 years now. And our friends who lived with us in Texas moved here with us, uh, Ed and Wendy Miller. And they needed to move away last November, like a year, a little over a year and a half ago, because of health issues. So my husband and I were by ourselves for a little while, but we had already bought the farm next door uh, with, with a sense of calling to develop this multifaceted ministry, kind of a laboratory for new ways of doing rural ministry. And... Um, so anyway, to make a long story short, our friend Francis, who you you might have met Francis, he was a student at Perkins years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so Francis was serving a church in Kansas, and his wife had joined him, and they have three three little kids. Francis was my research assistant, is a seasoned professional organic farmer from Kenya, and also a Methodist superintendent minister from Kenya. So he was serving a church in rural Kansas. So we, we talked to him to see if he'd be willing to come and be in community with us after Ed and Wendy moved away. And if he would, we would look into buying this farm that came up for sale next to us. So that's how we got into this. So it took a lot of effort with various bishops and peoples, all the, you can just imagine the details. Yeah. Involved. So they've been here now for almost a year. And um, some more people are joining in from Texas. They won't be living here full time for a few more years, but they're part of our team now. We started, uh, so so we follow a rule of life together. Um, there are seven of us living on site, and we our rule of life is prayer, uh, table, work, neighbor. Even the children can remember that, and it's broad enough. It com it's comprehensive for all of life. It's very simple. So we share in those things. Um, our goal has been to develop a farm that could become the economic engine to support the mission of what we're doing. But we're ha we've had to pivot because of some complications. And so what we're doing now with the farm is developing a, a big refugee community garden. Um, we've connected in with the refugee community, just like we did when we were in Texas. We support yeah. the refugee settlement. So we're pretty excited about that. We'll have a chicken and goat collective. We already have the, the farming enterprise going. And um, then we also started uh, a dinner church. I think we have dinner churches in the Episcopal Church too, right? Uh, yeah, house churches. Yeah. Right. So we started one of those, and then it quickly morphed into a, a decentralized network of micro-communities that meet in different places, led by... Uh, some some by um, people who, who have professional theological educations and some that, that are lay people that don't. And, but the common thread between these five micro-communities is welcoming uh, new neighbors. So 
there's a there's a core of supporting immigrants in each one of these, but uh, in different ways. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that church is called the Church at Spring Forest, and Francis is the appointed pastor for this church. And it's a new faith community, it's, and we're looking at it, the conference is looking at it as a laboratory for doing rural ministry in creative new ways. We uh, applied for and received several grants to help kickstart everything. And it's exciting work um, with the, the lockdown and the quarantine. I know many churches have had a hard time figuring out how to do church when we don't gather in a sanctuary, but we've never had a sanctuary. We've had dinner church and we've done Zoom church and all kinds of stuff. So we're just carrying on like we have been. And uh, on Holy Saturday, we took, uh, Francis and I took 22 boxes of eggs and produce from our farm around to 22 refugee households and you know we had our masks and gloves and kept social yeah. distancing and so on but we were able to still um, take food around as, as a gesture of welcome and to put a little flyer in there about our farm and how we're developing this program for um, our new neighbors from around the world so that was exciting and yeah uh, life-giving so we do that one of the groups uh, one of the micro communities I lead it's called breathe a monthly contemplative group at this point it's all women but there are some men that are wanting to come too so i think that'll be just fine but uh we do contemplative prayer practices and share our lives Uh, when we're able to gather in real time we eat soup and bread but while we're um, confined to zoom meetings and such we we don't usually eat together but we can still have our time of sharing and prayer different ways of praying so uh, so th- this is what we're doing at Spring Forest. Thank you for thank you for explaining that. I know uh, that type of um, community has been a long-term interest of yours, and uh, it's exciting to see this new iteration of that. So yeah. thanks for telling us about that. Sure. Thank everybody for being here today, uh, especially our listeners. You can follow us um, and get notifications of new episodes at soundcloud.com slash from all points. Uh, you can find new episodes on the first Saturday of each month at episcopalcafe.com. Um, let's go around our circle and say our goodbye, Amy. I'm Amy Haney from the Episcopal Diocese in Fort Worth. Thank you for being here. John? Hi, I'm John White. I'm uh, the rector at St. Luke's in Camillus, New York. And uh, I've always been really interested in intentional communities. When I used to be in West Virginia, and I really wanted to figure out how to start one. But um, So I'm going to have to read some of your stuff to see if I can get some more ideas. So thank you for being here today. You're welcome. Charles? And I'm Charles Wilson, Episcopal priest <laughs> at large in Columbus, Ohio. And I do appreciate uh, hearing and sharing with you today. Thank you. And yeah, it's been great to talk to you. A, a little bit chaotic at times. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as life is. That's yeah. our new church world, chaotic. Yeah, chaotic at times. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I've really enjoyed talking to you all. Um, Clayola Jatan, I'm the rector of St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Squim, Washington, up by Canada. Um, so thank you so much, everybody, for being here and for listening today. Thank you Bye. all. I'll see you later. Bye. 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 Bye.
This has been a production of the Episcopal Cafe.